your infinite mercy, we pray tonight as we go to your word, that you would be our teacher, soften our hearts. Lord, may your Holy Spirit just move in a mighty and a powerful way among us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hey, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you don't have a Bible, it means you need one. So raise your hand. We'll give you one. And again, if you don't have a Bible uh, at home, or if, if you like that Bible better, the one we just gave you, take it as our gift to you. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? Word of God. And you can't read the Bible if you don't have one. Read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? Well, turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 9. We continue our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. I encourage you to to read ahead for Sunday. We'll be looking at Acts chapter 20. It's another great chapter in the Bible, as they all are. And tonight we're going to look at how to have an intimate walk with God. And one of the things we struggle with often as Christians is that we understand often, I believe, what it means to make Jesus Savior. But I think a lot of times we struggle with what it means to make Jesus Lord. And the Bible tells us that He's supposed to be not just Savior, but He's to be Lord. And as we look at Numbers chapter 9, we're going to see two uh, diverse parts of the chapter, one of which I believe points to the fact that Jesus indeed is our Savior. And then we're going to look at the second half, where I believe it talks about Jesus being our Lord. Now, Numbers is a book that, that if you're new here, it gets a bad rap. I mean, if it's in the Bible, it's awesome. Amen? And Numbers, a lot of times people just think it's endless genealogies. I've told you that I believe a better title for Numbers would probably be In the Wilderness, because really that's what it talks about, is the time when Israel is in the wilderness. And we see how God had a perfect plan for the children of Israel as they went through the wilderness. And we'll talk about that some more tonight. How nothing happens by chance in the kingdom of God, and the way that He organized even the, the children as they marched through the, the wilderness and they were headed to the land of promise, to me is a very clear picture of Jesus Christ. We're going to see first, the first 14 verses, we're going to look at celebrating Passover. These two different sections, the first one will be celebrating Passover. As they look back in remembrance of what God had done for them in delivering them out of the bondage of Egypt. When we get to the chapter tonight, they will have only been out of the bondage of Egypt for one year. After 400 years of bondage, they've been out for one year. And God desires that they would not forget that they had been in bondage, that they would remember. And again, this is a picture of Jesus being our Lord. Now it's, or our Savior, excuse me. Now, we're going to see that when they look back, they're going to celebrate the fact that they've been delivered, but they're also going to commemorate what God had done for them. And we're going to see that there's a direct application for us. We don't observe Passover anymore. Amen? What has taken Passover's place? What is it? Communion. Remember Jesus at the last Passover supper? That's where he instituted communion. And that's when Jesus died on the cross. We'll talk about that some more as well. But why do we take communion? What is communion for us? Just like them, it's a celebration and a commemoration. We remember the fact that we too have been delivered from the bondage of sin through what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. The, the bread being the representation of His body that was broken for us, and the, the juice, being or wine in some cases, being a, a representation of His blood. And when we observe communion, we're doing the same thing that they did when they remembered Passover. We're celebrating our deliverance out of bondage, but we're remembering the, the price that was paid, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. When we take communion, or when they celebrated Passover, there was something else that needed to be done, and that was to examine their hearts. You know, when we take communion, we should not only remember what Christ has done for us, but we examine our own hearts and say, Lord, where am I standing with you right now? 
And we're going to see that that's a portion of what was done in those days. So the Passover is a picture of Jesus our Savior. And the second thing we're going to see tonight is following God's lead. We're going to see the cloud and the, the, and the pillar of fire. You'll remember this from Exodus chapter 12. And we're going to see God talking about that once the, the children have been, all been put together, they're encamped in the cross and they're getting ready to head through the wilderness. They needed someone to lead them. They've been delivered out of bondage, but now they must be led. And you and I have been delivered from sin, but we must be led. And what leads us? What is it? Who is it? More accurately, right? It's the Holy Spirit, right? Just as Passover, again, was a picture of of the cross and a picture of communion that delivered them out of bondage, so too with us, through the cross of Christ, we've been delivered from sin. We're new creations in Christ. But now, as new creations, we must be led. And they too, as encamped in the cross, in the wilderness, headed toward the land of promise, they too had to be led. And we're going to see, again, a very clear picture of the Holy Spirit. For you and I today, as they're led by the cloud, you and I today are led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. And understand, too, that the Bible tells us that as we are led in our walk day by day, that God has given us three things to help us know His will. Number one, He gave us His Holy Spirit who lives within us. Number two, He gave us His Word, right? How do we know God's will? Read the book, right? Read, his, read the Word of God. So often people say to me, Pastor Dave, I don't know what God's will is for my life. And then I say, well, how much time are you spending in the Word? Well, I really don't have time to read my Bible. I really don't have time to spend time in God's Word. And if you don't spend time in God's Word, you're also going to quiet yourself to hear, from hearing the Holy Spirit. We need to spend time in God's Word, being led by the Spirit, that God might illuminate His truth. And then thirdly, we have an interceding Savior. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. So along with that commemorating Passover, we're going to see them following God's lead. And we're going to see how those things point to how you and I can have intimacy with Christ. And again, it's a picture of Jesus, our Lord, as they followed the clouds. Let's begin in verse 1, looking at intimate walk with God, celebrating Passover. Look at verse 1 of Numbers chapter 9. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. So this took place during the first month of the year. And God's instruction to them, now this is coming, and this is actually a little out of order in a sense when we look at the text. Because when did this actually take place? It took place before Numbers chapter 1. But He's putting it here, it's it's divinely put here by God for a reason, that they're going to talk about a second Passover. And because they're going to talk about that, they're bringing it into context, so it's been placed here. But this event took place before all the other things that we saw in the first six chapters of Numbers. To catch you up, he had numbered the people in in Numbers chapter 1. He organized them and encamped them in a cross. He gave them practical service for the Levites. And he told them about being purified spiritually and making sure that they put evil outside of the camp. If you guys remember, just to catch you up, remember when they were going through the wilderness and God the Father looked down from heaven, what did he see? He saw a cross. Because as they camped, they were literally encamped in the perfect shape of a cross. At the center of that cross, the center of the camp... What? The what? The tabernacle. And what dwelt, or who dwelt in the tabernacle? God's glory, the Shekinah glory of God. And they were dwelling in temporary tents, encamped in the cross, through, headed to the wilderness, to the land of promise, having been delivered from bondage. Total picture of us. We're living in these temporary tents. We've been delivered from the bondage of sin. 
We're headed to the promised land of heaven. We have in the center of us, as they had the tabernacle, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, leading and guiding and directing us. And that's what happened with them and the children of Israel. And now he's going to remind them to remember Passover. And why would he do that? I believe very clearly that it's important that we not forget or take for granted what God has done for us. You know what, as Christians, I think that sometimes if we're not careful, we lose the significance of the cross. We forget, or we don't necessarily forget entirely, but it's not that as, as great as it once was to us. It's not as powerful as it once was to us. Sometimes I'll hear people say, oh, I met a new believer, that guy's so zealous for God, you know, he'll dial it down after a while. You know, after a while, he'll, he'll relax a little bit and he won't be so excited. You know, heaven forbid that we dial it down and not be excited about God anymore. We've been delivered, we've been born again, we're going to heaven, there's nothing better than that, it's better than winning the lottery 5,000 times. And we should be excited about it. And he wants them not to forget, okay, you're out of bondage now, you're not making bricks out of straw anymore, nobody's whipping you on your back, but you know what, don't forget Passover. Don't forget the work that God did for you. Verse 3, on the 14th day of this month at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time, according to all its rites and ceremonies, you shall keep it. Now the 14th day of the first month, the month was called Nisan. And this is the latter part of March. Okay, That's when Passover was instigated. Okay, they, they, On the 14th day of the first month. Now the first day of the month, the tabernacle had been erected. The next 12 days, those of you who are here in Numbers chapter 7, all of the, the gifts were brought. The 12 tribes brought all the gifts so that the tabernacle and the altar might function. Remember that while Israel blew it big time, the Israelites, one of the things they didn't blow it on was giving. Remember when they said, we have a need for things for the tabernacle, what happened? They brought so much that they had to tell them to stop bringing stuff. And then later they saw the need for the altar and the tabernacle and they just started bringing things. And they all brought things that it might function. Then on day 13, we saw that the Levites were consecrated, so we come to day 14. And it says you shall keep it at its appointed time. Now why? Why is it important that it happen on the 14th day of the first month? Why not? Who cares if it's the 19th day? Who cares if it's on the 5th month? Why is this significant? Somebody tell me. Why? What would happen 1,500 years later on that exact day? Jesus would be crucified. So when he said, you keep it on the 14th day, it was 1,500 years of prophecy going on right in front of them. They were doing something that 1,500 years later on that exact day, roughly 1,500 years later, on that exact day, because this is about 1445 B.C., roughly, Jesus, we know, in the early 30s A.D. was when he was crucified. So about 1,500 years later on this exact day. And so he looks at them and camped in the cross and says, don't you forget the Passover. It's been a year. Don't be, you know, hey, we're, out, we're not in bondage anymore. We're not slaves in Egypt. No one's been whipping on my back, man. Let's party. And we know initially that's exactly what they did. And he wants them to remember, you've been delivered. You need to celebrate and commemorate what God has done for you. It says in Exodus 12, It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout all their generations. You know what was supposed to happen with Passover? It was supposed to be an annual reminder of their deliverance, but it was also supposed to be something that they would sit down with their children and teach them what God had done for them. You know what? That's what Christmas ought to be today. Amen? It shouldn't be about, did I get the new Power Ranger? 
right? Or did I get the new video game? Or, you know, did I get the, you know, the new, and, and too often with our kids, all they're thinking about is what did I get instead of understanding what Christmas is all about. And Passover was supposed to be a time where the, the, the Jews, the, the children of Israel would sit down with their children and as they're observing this, this feast or this festival, they would look and say, what is this all about? Because it became a part of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And they would say, what is this all about, Mom and Dad? Let me tell you about what God did for you and what God did for me and what God did for us as a people. And that's what needs to happen in our families. And that was supposed to be a reminder to them. And looking back, the people would remember and appreciate what God had done for them. And they could teach their children the significance of this ultimate Independence Day. It says this in Exodus chapter 12, verse 25. It's, don't turn there. It says, It will come to pass when you come into the land which the Lord your God will give you, just as He promised, that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is a Passover sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when, we were struck, when He struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, they did so. So it was a reminder to them, and it was also a ministry to the generations that were to come. Now here's what we're going to see later that it's really sad is they're going to be obedient to fulfill this Passover, but guess what? It's the last one they're going to do until they get into the land of promise and Joshua reinstitutes it. And that's one of the reasons that an 11-day journey became a 40-day wandering in the wilderness. Because they would not walk in obedience to God. We got our own plan, we got our own heart. And because of that, under disobedience, an 11-day journey turned into 40, day, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and that entire generation passing away without having an opportunity to enter into the land of promise. You know what? We as parents, if we do not teach our children the truth, if we don't take the time, if we wait for the pastor to do it or the children's ministry leaders to do it or somebody else to do it, our kids are going to drift from the faith. They're going to. We must teach them the truth. We must share with them the, the love of our Almighty God. Passover's appointed time again was significant. Now, what were the rites and ceremonies of Passover? If you look in Exodus chapter 12, each family would go and get a lamb. And they would bring that lamb into their house or their tent, in this case. And they would watch that lamb for four days to make sure that that lamb was perfect, that it wasn't sick, it wasn't going to die, it was without blemish. Now what would happen during those four days? If you brought a lamb home and you had children in your house, do you think the kids would get attached to that thing? Of course they would. You bring a, you know, bring a puppy into someone's house, it's over in four minutes, let alone four days. You bring a lamb into the house, and that lamb would be there, and they would watch the lamb, and at the end of those four days, they would take that lamb, and that lamb would be sacrificed. Okay? Now, once that lamb was sacrificed, they also would have unleavened bread, and they would eat bitter herbs. Now, what is this in the world has this got to do with Passover? Let me tell you. First of all, who's the Lamb of God? Jesus Christ. He's the one that would take away the sins of the world. This firstborn, perfect, spotless Lamb is a picture of the Lamb of God who would come, and who on Passover, 1,500 years later, would hang on the cross and pay the price for our sins. They would then take unleavened bread. Leaven is a picture of what in the Bible? sin. Without leaven, without sin, who's the bread of life? Jesus Christ. Today when they do a Passover Seder, they take three pieces of unleavened bread. It's striped and it's punctured. Striped and pierced. Anybody ever seen unleavened bread? It's striped and it's pierced, isn't it? Right? 
And they take three pieces made of the same thing and they pull the middle piece out and what do they do to it? They break it in half, they wrap it in linen and they hide it and when the children go find it, they, they rejoice. Now what's that a picture of? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the second part of the Trinity, God the Son, removed, broken in half, pierced and striped. By His stripes we are healed, right? His, he, he was pierced in His hands and His feet, His side was pierced. And then it, he, he was wrapped in linen, right, when He was put into the grave. And then on the third day, He rose from the dead. A perfect picture of Christ. The Jews still observe that today when they do a Passover Seder and they're still waiting for the Messiah. Mind blower. Holy Spirit needs to open their eyes. We need to pray for them. But we would see that they would take this ceremony and then the bitter herbs pointed to the, to the suffering that went on there. They suffered in that land for 400 years and as they would sit and observe this, it was a reminder of what happened when they were in bondage. And so this leavened bread, again, a picture of the Savior. And it was a picture of the bread that we now take in communion. Now, verse 4 and 5. And it says there, so Moses told the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover, and they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did. Now, I want to say one more thing about Passover. With Passover, they would take that lamb at the first Passover, and what did they do with the blood? Who remembers? They took it, and where did they put it? On the, por- on the doorpost, the perfect shape of a cross, right? At the feet where Jesus bled from His feet. At the top where Jesus bled from His head with a crown of thorns. At where both of His hands had bled, right? And they took that lamb's blood, and if you slaughtered the lamb, but you didn't apply the blood to your house, what would happen when the angel of death came by? He'd go right into your house and the firstborn would die. So it wasn't enough just to slay the lamb. The blood had to be applied to the doorpost. And the same is true for you and I. Some people say, well, you know, if Jesus really did die on the cross, then I don't have to worry about it because, you know, He died. And I don't really believe in that, but, you know, if He died for everybody, then I'm covered too. Well, no, no, no. Him dying is not enough. The blood must be applied to us. Amen? He paid the price in full. And it is enough to satisfy all of our sin. But the problem is that you and I must take that blood and apply it to our lives. We must confess we're sinners in need of a Savior or the blood doesn't apply to us. And that angel of death. So what would happen is, look, it says, when did they sell at twilight? Why? Because that's when the angel of death came. And what happened? Can you imagine the screaming in Egypt early that morning? Can you imagine all the moms with all the firstborn that had died that evening? And that was finally the straw that, that where Pharaoh, again, God had hardened his heart, and Pharaoh finally said, okay, get out of here. Because he couldn't take it anymore. And so they were to remember what God had done for them how God had, had delivered them out of bondage. And it's a picture for you and I again. May we never, ever allow the cross to grow common. Again, during the last Passover, the last Passover that took place, Jesus, hours from the cross, stood up in front of His disciples, took the bread, and for the first time they understood what this bread was. We've been eating this unleavened bread for 1,500 years as a people, and we've never understood what it was. And now he breaks it and says, this is my what? This is my body broken for you. They've been, he takes the Jew, what is this? This is my blood of the new covenant. And that's what we do when we take communion. And we take communion again to remember what Christ has done for us. 
and to examine our own hearts during those times and make sure we're right before Him. Passover, a celebration, a commemoration, but it was also a time of self-examination. Look at verse 6. Now there were certain men who were defiled by a human corpse, so they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron that day and said, and, and said to, these men said to them, we became defiled by a human corpse. Why are we kept from presenting the offering of the Lord at its appointed time among the children of Israel? Now these guys are really stuck. Because if you remember from Numbers chapter 5, there were three things that caused someone to be thrown out of the camp. And they weren't allowed back in until they were cleansed. The first one was leprosy. Leprosy is a picture of outward sin. It's a sin that's obvious to everyone. Right? It's a sin. Everybody knows you've got this problem. Right? Everybody sees it. And if you were a leper in those days, immediately they would take you and you were sent outside of the camp because it would spread if you didn't. If you left it in the camp, everybody would be a leper. So they would take the leper and he had to go outside of the camp until he was cleansed. And guess what? With leprosy, that wasn't very often. Right? The second thing was if you had a, a, a flow of blood or a bodily discharge of some kind, this was a hidden sin. Nobody else knew you had it, but you were defiled nonetheless, and you had to go outside the camp. And the third one was if you touched any kind of a dead body, even by accident. How would you touch a dead body by accident? Well, maybe you're over visiting a, an elderly relative and you're feeding them and, then, and while you, they die, and you're touching them. You've been defiled. And in those days, when that happened, you had to go outside of the camp for seven days and be cleansed. Now, why those three sins again? Leprosy, a picture of outward sin. The discharge of blood, a picture of sin that nobody else knows about but God knows. And then finally, touching dead bodies. And guess what? Dead bodies, a picture of the world. The Bible says the world is dead in their trespasses and sins. And if you hang out with the world, you're going to start smelling like it, right? You're going to start walking around like a dead guy. When I was a youth pastor, I used to tell kids in the youth group that if you're dating an unbeliever, it's like dating a corpse. Now, can you imagine dragging a dead body into your living room and say, Mom and Dad, here's my prom date? No, you wouldn't do that. You would, and you, know, you wouldn't seek counsel from a dead man. But that's what the world is. They're spiritually dead. Do we love them? Yes. Do we pray for them? Yes. Do they need to know Christ? Yes. Isn't that us before we were saved? Absolutely. We minister to the world. We're not to have fellowship with it. And so we see here, these guys somehow touch the dead body. We don't know how. And they come to him and say, Passover is the 14th. I touched a dead body on the 9th. I'm not going to be clean till the 16th. If I don't give, do Passover, guess what? I'm going to be cut off from my people. We're going to see here in a couple of verses. So I'm stuck. I, I can't go in. If I go in, I'm, I'm defiled and I'm in big trouble. And if I don't go in, I can't give at Passover, and I'm in big... What am I going to do? And so they come to Moses and say, Moses, what are we supposed to do? Are we just out? We don't get to celebrate Passover? We don't get to... We're going to be cut off from our people for the rest of our lives because we accidentally, you know, touched Grandma after she died, or, you know, we were carrying a casket or whatever. Are we out? And so they come to Moses, and they ask him this question. What must we do? What are we going to do? Verse 8, And Moses said to them, Stand still, that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. Man, this is great. You know what? It's okay sometimes when someone comes and asks you a question to say, I don't know. Amen? Don't we always want to be, you know, well, I got to know. I, uh, how do I don't know? You know, especially, I'll be honest with you, you know the people that are most at danger of doing this? Pastors. 
Well, you're the pastor. You're supposed to know. Don't you like read the Bible 57 hours a day and have it memorized in four languages? How come you don't know? You know, and there's a danger to try to give people an answer. Well, I'm supposed to know. I'm the pa- I better give them something, right? And the reality is Moses doesn't do that. What does Moses say? You guys stay here. Let me go seek the Lord and find out what he wants. Well, that's some great advice. Amen? When we want to give counsel, say, you know what? I don't know, but I'm going to go spend some time in the Word, and I'm going to go pray and ask God to show me, and, and when he does, I'll get back to you. There's nothing wrong. You know, that's what we should do. Amen? Here's Moses. This guy, this is Mo up on the mountain, Mo hanging out with the Lord, right? Glowing in the dark, right? The guy with the veil over his face, parting seas and stuff, right? Turning snake, you know, and touching water, turning to blood. And, this is, and he still says, I don't know. Let me go ask the Lord. That's great. That's what we should do. If you don't know what to do, you don't have direction, go get on your knees and say, Lord, show me. He says, you guys, stand still. I wrote down, pray before you say. And, I, and that's what we should do. Before we speak up. We need to make sure we've heard from the Lord. James 1 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. We all need to be more patient in waiting to hear from the Lord. Sometimes the best answer is, I don't know. Let's pray. Let's seek the Lord. It's interesting, I was talking to two of our pastors about something yesterday. And we were talking about it, and we shared our hearts, and then we, I said, you know, let's just pray. Let's just pray and wait on the Lord. God will show us what to do, and you know what? He will. He's already begun to work on my heart. And so praise God for that. And Moses says, you guys be still, let me go see. Verse 9. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. Now, isn't that great? He goes and prays, he goes and seeks the Lord, and what does the Lord do? He speaks to him. Do you think God's up in heaven, and you come to him, Lord, Give me wisdom and direction. What should I do about this? I'm not going to tell you. Is that the God that we serve? No. You know what? If one of my kids came up to me and said, Dad, Dad, you know what? I've got to make this major decision for my life, and here's what they are. What should I do, Dad? Not going to tell you. Oh, well. Hope it, doesn't work. Hope it works out for you. Yeah. T- that's not... I'm an imperfect dad. I would never do that with my kids. Why would perfect holy God do that with us? But you know what happens? Is we pray in our time, God answers in His time, and we don't want to wait that much time. Right? We pray, and Lord, give me patience right now. Right? Lord, teach me. But I want it right this very second. You know, and we, and we just put these things on God. And God sometimes wants us to be still, like He told these guys. You guys be still. I'm going to go seek the Lord, then I'll come back and tell you. And they're probably sitting out there going, but it's, it's the 14th already, and if we can't get, we're going to be cut off, and come on, man, give me an answer. Hook a brother up, help me out, right? And he's like, no, be still, let me go seek the Lord. And I love verse 9, and the Lord spoke to Moses. That's great. You wait on the Lord, He will speak to you. He's not hiding from you. He loves you. He sought the Lord, and He speaks to Him. We simply, the problem is, people say, I don't hear from God. You know what? You're not listening. Amen? Is God not talking? God just forgot to talk to you? God's asleep? What is it? You're not as close to God as you used to be. Who moved? God didn't move. You did, right? And so often people say, well, I just don't hear from the Lord. Well, you're not spending time in prayer, and you're not spending time in the Word, and you're not truly seeking Him, because if you were, you would hear from Him. If any lacks wisdom, that's a promise. Does God break promises? No. 
So if I'm not hearing from God, I'm not spending enough time in His presence. Moses says, you guys stay right there. Let me go seek the Lord. He goes and seeks the Lord, and the Lord speaks to Moses. Verse 10. Speak to the children of Israel. If any one of you or your posterity, you know, your, your generations behind you, is unclean because of a corpse or is far away on a journey, he may still keep the Lord's Passover. Verse 11. On the 14th day of the second month at twilight, they may keep it. Now, I love this, that God's reply is gracious. He doesn't say, shouldn't have touched the dead body. What were you thinking? You touched the dead body on the 9th. You knew Passover was coming, you're out. Sorry. Isn't that how some people kind of portray God? He's up there with a lightning bolt waiting for you to make a mistake. Oh, there it is. Oh, I told you. See, you blew it. And sometimes we, we portray God as being, you know, and people walk around. That's not the God we serve. One of the names for God is Abba Father. And Abba Father means what? Daddy. Daddy's never far away. And Daddy is somebody's lap you can crawl up into who loves you so very much. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. And he comes back, and what kind of response does he give? He says, not only those guys, but you know what? If somebody, now first of all, nobody's away right now. He's not talking to these people because they're all encamped in the cross. There, nobody went on a far trip at this point. He's talking to future generations. And he says, you know what? If Passover comes, and there are people that are on a faraway journey, or there are people who've been defiled, they can do it one month later, during the second month on the 14th day. But look what he says. This is key. He says, they may keep it, but they must, as we'll see here, look at the second part of verse 11. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it till morning or break one of its bone. According to all the ordinance of the Passover, they shall keep it. Now, they're allowed to do it, but it must be done in exactly the same way. They couldn't have a whole different way of celebrating Passover. It was exactly the same way. Why? Why did it have to be the same way? Because there's only one path to heaven. Amen? There's only one Savior. There's only one truth. There's only one hope. There's only one life. There aren't many paths. And even though you live here in Santa Cruz, and a lot of people would tell you that there are, there's only one. Amen? One of the children's songs I sang growing up is, One way God said to get to heaven, and Jesus is the only way. Amen? No other way. And so it had to be done the exact same way. The unleavened bread, again, a picture of Christ. That firstborn spotless lamb, again, a picture of the Lord. And look what it says there in verse 12. They shall leave none of it until morning. When they made an offering, part of it was eaten and the rest of it was burnt completely. Why? Remember the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings of the Old Testament. Again, a picture of Christ that He died for us. And it says, nor break any of its bones. Now why? Somebody, I know you know why. Why weren't they to break any of the bones of the Passover lamb? Somebody tell me. Amen. Because Jesus went to the cross and not one of His bones was to be broken. It says this in John 19, 36. For these things were done that the Scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of Him shall not be broken. So, this Passover lamb, 1,500 years before Jesus died on the cross, no bones were to be broken because it was a picture of Him. And as soon as you broke a bone, it no longer was a type or a picture of Christ. So no bones were to be broken because it pointed perfectly to the Savior. And they kept all the ordinances in the exact same way. You know what? It's interesting. 
that God gives them another opportunity for Passover. But sadly, we're going to see that even after giving them an additional opportunity, that this is going to be the last time they celebrate Passover. And it's kind of like today. Is it difficult to become a Christian? What's the answer? No. Did God say, all right, you want to be one of my followers? Sell all you have, get on your hands and knees, and crawl from L.A. to New York in the dead of winter with no food. And you know the funny thing is, if that was what God, or if people thought God required that, a lot of people would find it easier to do that than to just believe that Jesus loves them. Because people think they've got to earn it. I've got to do something. I've got to walk on hot coals. I've got to, you know, you see these people sticking themselves and doing all these weird things to themselves. I'm trying to please the gods. I'm going to stick myself with a knife. Now he's happy. You know, first of all, if I had to stick myself to make a God happy, I don't want to serve that God anyway. Amen? You see these people doing things, and you think, man, how easy it is, how simple it is. It's easy for us to be saved, but it came at a heavy-duty price. Amen? Salvation is a free gift, but it wasn't cheap. It cost our Savior everything. He had to suffer and die that we might have eternal life. And again, there's plenty of opportunity for salvation, but man's so preoccupied with the world that most will miss it. Look at verse 13. But the man who is clean and is not in a journey and ceases to keep the Passover, that same person shall be cut off from his people. Because he did not bring the offering of the Lord at its appointed time, that man shall bear his sin. This is what he's talking about. Now, he says, if you're on a journey or you're away, you can wait till the second month. But he says, but if you're not out of town and you're not sick, you need to do it on the appointed time. Because God knows the heart of men. Remember with the Nazarite vow? He said, you can't drink wine. Then what else did he tell him? No grapes, no raisins, no skins, no seeds. Because he knew that guys would be like, I'm, I'm not really having wine because these are fermented grapes. Right? He knew that they would be like, oh, well, this is just the skin of the grapes. This isn't really wine. So it's and then he knew that men would try to find loopholes because that's how we are. I have people tell me that all the time. Well, the Bible doesn't say exactly that I shouldn't. Dude, would you stop it? You know better than that. The Bible, well, no, it doesn't say that I shouldn't cheat on my taxes. There's not a verse that says, thou shall not cheat on your taxes. So the Bible says, given to Caesar what is Caesar's. Oh, yeah, but, well, the Bible doesn't say, and people look for loopholes. And the Lord just says, you know what? I love you guys, and I'm, I'm a God of grace, but you need to respond to me. And he says to these guys, you know what? If you're clean and you, try, and you don't do it, guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to be cut off from your people. And you're going to bear your own sin. How many of you know that sin requires a heavy price? The Bible says in Romans that the wages of sin is what? Death. And the price of sin is always death. Always. So if this guy's going to have to bear his sin, what does that mean? I believe cut off from his people. It could mean banished from the camp, but I believe death. Because he's saying he has to bear his sin. The wages of sin is death. And so here's the deal. We're, how many of you are sinners? Raise your hand. If your hand's not up, you're lying and you're sinning again, okay? So the reality is that we're all sinners. And so because we're sinners and the wages of sin is death, then we're in huge trouble. So we have a choice to make. We either pay the price for our sin ourselves or we let Jesus do it for us. And what happens here, those who didn't observe Passover, the Passover pointing to Christ, this is a picture of salvation, if you don't allow the Savior to do it for you, then you get to pay for your sin yourself. 
You know, a lot of people don't like to hear this kind of stuff. I've had people, you know, calling from the radio program, you know, man, you, why don't you lighten up, dude? I mean, come on. But here's the reality. What are we talking about here? We're talking about life and death. Amen? We're talking about eternity. And it's so important that everybody understand that the wages of sin is death. And he says to these guys, if you don't observe Passover, you're going to die. Isn't it interesting? What happens to this entire generation because they stop observing Passover after this year? What happens to that entire generation, 20 years and older? What happens to them? They all die in the wilderness. They get freed out of bondage and then they die in the wilderness. They never get to enter into the land of promise except for two people, Joshua and Caleb. Everybody else, dead. Why? Again, because of rebellion and disobedience, because they wouldn't accept the free gift of what what God did for them. They wouldn't observe Passover. They wouldn't walk in obedience to Him. And so, they would be cut off. So, an intimate walk with God. Look at verse 14. It says, And if a stranger dwells among you and would keep the Lord's Passover, he must do so according to the rite of Passover, according to its ceremony. You shall have one ordinance, both for stranger and the native in the land. Now again, you should all be able to answer this. Why is it that even though somebody who is a proselyte, who decided to follow after Judaism, became a convert, maybe he's a Greek, right? He decided to become a convert to Judaism, yet he still had to keep Passover. Why? Who's Passover pointing to? Jesus. He's saying, look, I don't care if you're a Greek, I don't care if you're, you know, Scythian, I don't care if you're a slave, free, Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter, you must come through Christ. Amen? And he says it's not a different program for different people. Have you ever had people say to you, well, what about the people living in the jungle in Africa? Maybe there's a different God for them. Maybe Hinduism is the God for the people in India, and maybe it is Buddhism in China, and maybe it is, you know, and we got all these gods out there. And maybe that's just the form God used for the people in that country. Uh, No. Did Buddha die on a cross? Was Buddha sinless? Do you know that Buddha didn't even know if he was going to heaven? He was trying. Did you know that? He never even claimed to be a messiah, right? What about, what about Hinduism? Does Hinduism even have a savior? Do they have a savior? They believe in reincarnation, right? You just keep coming back and coming back and coming back and you might be a grasshopper if you don't do so well. And you know, I was just in India and there's cows walking up and down the street because they think it might be grandma. I'm, you think I'm kidding. Cows and pigs all over the street starving people. Good thing I don't live there. I'd be barbecuing big time and I'd probably be in big trouble. If my kids were hungry, I'd be out there at night, you know. Right? <laughs> Come on home. Right? Bring a Jersey cow home and we'd be eating good for a long time. And the sad part is, people walk by and they, you know, put, they put things on the cow and they worship them. That's it. Now, is that the God of India? Who's the God of India? Jesus Christ. Who's the God of Africa? Who's the God of every country in the world? Jesus Christ. And he's saying to them, it doesn't matter if they're a stranger. It's the same way to heaven. It's Jesus. In this case, it's the Passover that would point to the Messiah that was coming. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus Christ who would come. The Son of the living God, right? And that's who it was pointing to. So we see here, intimacy in a walk with God. We must always be looking back to the cross in remembrance of what was done and realize that price that was paid. Be examining our own hearts before God. 
and realizing that we're new creations in Him and that without Him we'd be in big trouble. And because of that, it should cause us to have a great amount of joy. I'm forgiven. I had a young man in the office today and I was counseling with him and he was telling me that he's been a Christian all his life and he hopes he goes to heaven. I'm like, well, back up the truck for a second. If you're a Christian, there's no hope anymore. Amen? It's not hope so, it's no so. Amen? Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Do you know for sure? Yes. Because the Lord told us you were. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be what? Saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Those are promises from God. Does God lie? No. Do I know for sure that I'm going to heaven? Yes. Is it because I'm a great, perfect guy? No. It's because He's a great and awesome God. And He paid the price for me. And He's forgiven me for my sin. And so intimacy with God begins when we realize that we've been forgiven. It should bring just a a, a great love for the Lord. It should cause us to remain desperate for Him all the time. Second point. Along with this Passover picture of Jesus Christ being our Savior, let's take a look at Jesus being our Lord. A picture of that in the cloud and the pillar. Okay? Look at verse 15. Now on that day that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. From evening until morning, it was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. Now... There's a name for this. It's called the Shekinah glory, right? God's presence was above the tabernacle. And if you remember, God's presence there did many things. It says in the Word of God that to the Egyptians it brought darkness, while at the same time to the Israelites it brought light. I find that interesting. That it, it, it's light to those who are following God and it's darkness to those who aren't. That to me is a picture of God's Word, Right? It's light to us, and they don't get it, right? But we see here that this pillar was there, and every time they looked up and saw the pillar, they knew that God was with them. It was a picture of God's presence, and they were to follow God's lead everywhere He went. Verse 16, So it was always, the cloud covered it by day, and the appearance of fire by night. So during the day it was a cloud, and by night it was a pillar of fire, and they would watch that, and that was their way of knowing that God is with us. God's presence. Now, what is this a picture of, this cloud or this fire? What would you think? Picture of what? How do we know today that God is with us? The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. You know what? We don't even have to guess because it says in Isaiah 63 that that cloud and that fire is the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles in Acts chapter 2, it came as tongues of what? Fire. The pillar of fire. A picture of the Holy Spirit. It was God's presence. And they looked up and they saw it and they knew that God was with them and it was what they would follow. Because they've been delivered from bondage, but they still needed to be led. We've been delivered from bondage, but don't we still need to be led? Every single day? Don't we need need God to lead us and give us direction and give us wisdom? Absolutely. And so, they've been delivered, but they needed to be led. Look at verse 17 and 18. Whenever the cloud was taken from above the tabernacle after the children of Israel would journey, in the place where the cloud settled, then the children of Israel would pitch their tents. At the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey, and at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Now, God's presence is within the camp, just like the Holy Spirit's living inside of us. And what they would do, remember this, who was camped right outside of the tabernacle? Who was there? Who remembers? 
the Levites. And the Levites were the ones that were in charge of moving the tabernacle. So what did they do? Where were their eyes all the time? They're looking up because they know as soon as that thing moves, we've got to jump into action. It could happen today, tomorrow, or in six months. But I love the fact that they were looking up. And you know what? That's a way to have intimacy with God. We need to wake up looking up too, amen? We need to begin our day with our eyes on Him. Spend our day with our eyes on Him. Seeking first the kingdom of God. This cloud, God's glory, led and they followed and they moved according to God's command. Literally the word there for God's command in verse 18 is the word mouth. They moved according to God's mouth or God's word. Isn't that what leads us today? Isn't it God's word? God's word directs our lives. This is, hey, this is a love letter from Almighty God to you, right? You know, it'd be interesting if a, a meteor landed in your backyard and you went out there and, and in, in the middle of it was this golden box and you, you pulled it out and it was shining and on it had your name and it said, a, a letter from God. How quickly would you read that? Man, it would, you, you'd stay up all night. You'd be drinking coffee. Get all of it, right? And the reality is that this is a love letter from God. And yet we sit sometimes with dust collecting on it and wondering why we're struggling in life. I wish God would show me what He wants me to do. In the meantime, your Bible's over there under the TV while you're watching a sitcom, right? Man, I wish God would show me. Uh, hello, right? Blow that off. Open this thing up and let God speak to you. Guess faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And we want God's direction, but we don't want to open up the Word. And so here we see by the mouth He commanded them. And I believe by His Word, again, He directs and He leads us along with the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit of living God living inside of us. We have the Word of God right before us that we can open up, illuminated by His Spirit. Again, not a pillar of fire anymore, but the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah 31 says, I will write my name on what? Your heart. He's written Himself on our heart. He's, he's written His name on our heart. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. I'll tell you another way of, again my transliteration of it, delight yourself in the Lord and He'll put His desires in your heart. Because when you're delighting in the Lord, what happens? You start wanting what He wants. People think it's flip when I say this, but I believe it. You love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You spend time in His Word, you spend time in prayer, and then do what you want. Why? Because if you do that, you're going to start wanting what He wants. You delight yourself in the Lord, He's going to put His desires in your heart. And we see here that they were led by the command of God. The pillar moved and they followed. Man, I, sometimes we think, man, it'd be sweet. I'd like a pillar out in front of my house. If God wants me to move, just move that pillar and I'll go. Right? How many of you like a pillar? When you, you know what? Here's the reality. We'd like that. But I think what we have is much better. Because we have the Holy Spirit not hovering over our house, but living inside our hearts. Amen? And we have the Word of God. They didn't have the Word of God yet. We do. I believe we're the most blessed of all people. Verse 19. Even when the cloud continued long, many days above the tabernacle, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey. The charge of God was they were to stay until God moved. How many of you struggle being patient? Raise your hand. Okay. I do. You know, we want, I want what God wants right now. And don't you, though, don't you love when you look back and you see how God's timing was perfect? You look back and you go, oh, thank you, Lord. You didn't do what I wanted when I said, right? You know, I came up here, some of you know, in 1996 to start a church in Fremont. 
And the day I got here, I went to Calvary San Jose to meet with Pastor Don for lunch to go start this church. And they announced, they brought this guy Tim Brown up, who's an assistant pastor, and announced that he was going to Fremont to start a church. And I had sold my house and moved up here. And I'm sitting out there going, okay, that's not right. You know? But here's the reality. God had a better plan, right? Pastor Don, you were the one that told me to come up here and start a church. What's up with that? You know, I could have been like that. I could have said, okay, Lord, you've got another plan. And you know what? I look back now, I wouldn't be in Santa Cruz. And I'm glad, I love that I'm here. I'm so blessed that I'm here. I want to spend the rest of my life here. I'm blessed. Praise God. But the reality is sometimes we look back and we think, man, God, hurry up. God, you've got to have another plan. Show me what it is you want for me. And the Lord's just saying, be still and wait. The cloud will move when it's time. My Holy Spirit will move on your heart when it's time. You just love me right now. Minister to the Lord that you might be able to minister for the Lord. Amen? You just fall in love with Him. He'll show you when it's time. And these guys were to stay there and to wait and to be patient. An intimate walk with God requires that we wait upon the Lord. That we're not ahead of Him or behind Him. We're almost done. Verse 20. So it was when the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain in camp, According to the command of the Lord, they would journey. So they didn't move until God said. Now I love this. The movements were ordered by the Lord, not voted on by men. Do you see that? Nobody had a vote. They didn't call everybody in and say, I think we've been, I think we've been in this pile of dirt a little too long. Who wants to move? Raise your hand. Right? And you know what? We, we, we do that sometimes, don't we? Well, uh, we, we live in a democratic society. I think we've got to vote. No, no. We should have one vote, God's, and listen to that one. Amen? You know, there's times when it makes no sense from the world's perspective, but the reason you do it is because God said. You know, you can have 500 reasons why not to do something and one reason on this side. God said. God said cancels out everything else. Amen? It doesn't make sense for me to leave. You know, I, I've got a great job and I've got a house over here and it's cheap to live in Santa Cruz. It costs... Man, it's so expensive to live there, and those people don't really love God up there. They like trees more than God up in that place. I'm not into tofu. Why do you want me up there? And you know, the thing is, you could fall into that trap and start writing down the reasons why I shouldn't do it. Here's the reason why you go, because God said, amen? And when God said, that's enough. You plus Jesus is a majority, amen? You plus Jesus, it doesn't matter what everybody else says, if God told you, you do it. And watch God do great things. And we see here that it was God that commanded. They didn't take a vote. They didn't come up with their own ideas. They didn't sit down and, you know, dialogue it, right? Let's, let's chart it, man. What do you think? What does our church need? Here's what, you know what? Instead of sitting there and writing out a bunch of suggestions, why don't we get on our knees and pray and watch God do great stuff, amen? You want to see God move? Pray. You want to see God move? Get on your knees before the Lord. Intercede on behalf of the city and watch what God will do. Let's teach God's word. Let's love people supernaturally. God will do incredible things if we will be obedient to Him. Verse 21 and 22. So it was when the cloud remained only from evening until morning. When the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they would journey, whether by day or by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey. Now, I love this. They didn't say, we just got here. We've only been here an hour and a half. Why are you moving again? It says, when the cloud moved, they went. And then there's going to be, look at the rest of this though. It says, verse 22, whether it was two days, a month, or a year, that the cloud remained above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey, but when it was taken up, they would journey. This is great. They just said, Lord, I'm not even going to try to make the plans. I'm just going to love you. I'm just going to keep my eyes on the cloud. I'm going to keep my eyes on the pillar. 
of, uh, the, of fire, and when it moves, I'll go. And until then, I'm going to be faithful right here, and I'm just going to serve you right where I'm at. You know what? Ministry is not a destination. It's a way of life, and we're all in it. Amen? Too often we think, one of these days, when I get this done, then I can do this for God. And when, one of these days, when I got all this taken care of, then I can do this for God. And we're always looking down the road. When my, you know, when my kids are all in school, or, you know, when... when when our bills are all paid off, or you know, when I retire from my job, or, and we're always saying, then I'll serve God. When does God want you to serve Him? Right now. He didn't save you to be a pew potato, right? He didn't save you to be a big fat sheep. Again, the dead sea's dead because it has an inlet and what? No outlet, right? It's dead because water's going in and then the water just dies and nothing happens to it. And too often with Christians, you just, right? Come and sit here Sunday and Wednesday. You get through the Bible in the air. Read the Bible, read the Bible. And then do nothing. God wants to use you right now. Well, Pastor Dave, I've been a Christian for three months. Okay. That means you're a new creation in Christ. That means you're filled with the Spirit of the living God. That means that the creator of the universe is within you. And you're His Son. And He can speak mightily through you. It means you have a testimony because you used to be dead in your sins and now you're a new creation in Christ. That means God can use you right now. If you've been saved an hour and a half, God can use you. Amen? He can use you right now. And too often we think, well, I have to memorize the Bible and go to cemetery. I mean, seminary. And, you know, and I, I have to study and I have to do all these. Then I, God can... Nothing wrong with that. If you want to do that, it's great. But God wants to use you right now. And these guys waited on the Lord, whether it was two days or a year. And you know what? If they got caught up in the world and they kept from looking up, they would have missed out on it. First Thessalonians says this, Let us not sleep as others do. Don't let us watch, but let us watch and be sober. We need to be watching. First Timothy 4 says, But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. First Peter chapter 4 says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. Colossians 3, 2, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, says, Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. We need to be watching and working. Amen? We need to be looking up. We need to get our eyes on Him. When do we get depressed? we stop looking at the Lord. When do we get bummed out? When do we think things are overwhelming? When we forget who our God is. We become like the Israelites fighting David and Goliath. You know, 11 foot 750 with armor and a big armor bearer coming out in front of them every day. Coming down to the bottom of the hill saying, I defy you guys. Send out your champion. You know, you defeat me. 40 days and 40 nights of that. And everybody, (laughs) right? Why? Because they were looking with physical eyes. And along comes David delivering cheese to his brothers. It's a fact. Look it up. It's in the Bible. He brings, he's the milkman. He's bringing cheese to his brothers. He shows up and he sees this 11 foot 750 guy, right, coming down with an attitude. And David's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against what? My God. He says, dude, you're coming against the creator of the universe. You got no idea what you're in for. Why? Because David's looking up. David's eyes are on God, and he doesn't get blown away. He doesn't, he's not afraid. He's not fearful. And we know what happens. He takes a rock and cuts, you know, he's holding up Goliath's head, and, you know, and holding his head up. Why? Because his eyes were on things above. And God wants to use us, you guys, but we get overwhelmed when we look at our bills. I had so many hours at work in my hell, and I'm tired all the time. And I, you know, we get overwhelmed because we forget who we're serving. We forget who the God is that we're following. Last verse. And at the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. At the command of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. They moved only when the Lord moved. When we're filled with the Spirit, we're going to be content 
or to move or stay. Can I, can I clue you something? You know what? I'm still, I have a lot to learn. But can I tell you something that God taught me over time? That if you're not content where you are right now with Him, there's no location change that's going to bring you contentment. There's no job change that's going to bring you contentment. Winning the lottery wouldn't bring you contentment. If you're not content right now, right where you are, nothing the world has to offer will make you content. Why? Because contentment comes from the Holy Spirit and right standing before God. That's when you're content. Why is it Daniel was content in the lion's den while King Darius was flipping tables all night, tearing down his curtains and losing it in the palace? Because it's better to be in the lion's den with the Lord than in the palace without him. Amen? He was content, because, not because of his circumstances, but because of who his Savior was. And so often we make the mistake of thinking our contentment will come when we have enough money in the bank, when I have the right job, when I meet the right girl, I meet the right guy, when we have the children. We think that's contentment. The contentment comes from walking with the Lord. And so, dwelling in the center of God's will is only possible when we're looking up. Remember that those who got to camp closest to the tabernacle were those that were in ministry. The Levites were closest to the Shekinah glory of God. And as you serve the Lord, you will be closer to Him. That's a guarantee. You want to be closer to the Lord? Start serving. Start loving people. Start ministering to people at work. Start praying for your co-workers. You'll be closer to the Lord. So in closing, how do we have an intimate walk with God? One, we celebrate what's already been done. We remember that Jesus is our Savior, that He paid the price, that we're born again, that we're going to heaven, that our name's written in the Lamb's book of life, and it doesn't get any better than that. But not only do we celebrate what's already been done, and we realize who we are in Christ, but we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. We remain in His presence. We walk in His Spirit. And when we do that, we get to see God do great things in and through us. Remember what He's already done, and look forward to what He wants to do with us. Remember what He's done for you on the cross, and be obedient to the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You for Your Word, and we thank You so much for the fact that You did send Your Son to suffer and die that we might have eternal life. We thank You that we're forgiven. We thank You that we're heaven-bound. We thank You that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that nobody can ever snatch you, snatch us out of Your hand. We thank You so much. And then, Lord, I just pray that You would help us as we've been born again and we're new creations, that, Lord, we would walk in the fullness of Your Spirit. And, Lord, that You would use us even right now. And, Lord, we'd be sensitive to the leading of Your Holy Spirit, that we'd have that intimate walk with You, that, Lord, our eyes would be looking up, that we would set our mind on things above and not be overwhelmed by things on this earth. So, Father, I just pray, Lord, that You would help us, Lord, to, to be a shining light to a lost and dying world. Lord, we thank You so much for the, the gift of Your Son and the gift of your Holy Spirit living in us. We ask that you just bless, I ask you bless each person who's here. Just strengthen them in their walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.